Scripture says the fool opens his mouth, and I'm going to be a little foolish for a second. <sighs> Confession time. When there are times when I, I don't, I'm not much of a movie watcher, so I don't watch that many. I think maybe a little bit more than, than earlier, influenced by family. But uh, when I do watch movies, there are times when I just want to, as, as I like to think, veg out. I don't like to think. I just want to watch a movie. So here's the confession. I like Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and I like Miss Congeniality. <laughs> and so the reason why I'm sharing that with you is because there's a scene, um, you know, it's certain movies that you watch, they have all these one-liners and things. And in Miss Congeniality, the, the lady cop, I don't know her name, um, she, she is now on the beauty pageant and, and you get the question like, you know, what do you want in life? And, She'll say something like, world peace. And I want you to actually think about that because it seems to become a funny, cliche statement, and yet world peace is not that. It's not cliche. It's really what God wants. He desires it for us. And we see it from the very beginning in Scripture when he made us. He made us to have a, a, a conciliatory type of a relationship with him, that we work along his side. Yes, his creation working alongside of the creator. That's what we can see from Genesis chapter 1. And we see that, that mutual relationship together in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. And so this has always been God's desire when he made us. And of course, the rest of the story we see in the book of Revelation where that's exactly what you see. Man and God together dwelling with one another. And so from the moment of man's sin... Right When there is separation between God and mankind, when he sends him out of the garden, when he says, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, God has been working or has been working up until the cross, and yes, in a sense, even till now, but he's been working to bring man and God back together, right? And then we see as a result of sin coming into the world, this distinction and, and division between mankind, and he's been working to bring that reconciliation as well. And so the whole of the gospel that you will see in Scripture is the concept of, of man being separated from God and then the story of bringing man and God back together and even man and man. Like in this morning's Bible class, uh, at one point, I forget what the context was, but I said, what is the great commandment? And love God, love your neighbor. That's the idea of having this fellowship, this oneness, this togetherness that is taking place. It's because we've been separated from God and from each other. Right? We see passages like Genesis 2, 17, right? The day you eat it, you'll die, or your sins separate you from a God, or the wages of sin is death. We have all these passages that bring this point out. God doesn't want that. And what's just the opposite of that? The opposite of that sin, the opposite of the flesh. And so this is what the Apostle Paul addresses when he's writing to Christians, and we had that passage in Romans 14 as our reading during the Lord's Supper hour, and of course as, as Soyo was reading for us in just a few minutes ago. And the reason why we have these passages is because of here's the flesh and what we do to one another. Think about it. Think about sin and all that is involved with sin, right? There are many other passages in these, but we're told not to judge one another. And, and we get that same passage in, in James chapter 4 of what happens when you live according to the flesh. And I want to actually read James chapter 4. So I want you to read that with me. And note, here's what happens when sin enters the picture where we, we do something against one another or 
may not have even done anything wrong to one another, but because of what you believe, because of what you practice, I might wrongfully condemn you. And so in line with that passage in Matthew, James makes it very clear of how we ought to live in a manner that would be pleasing to God. And he says this in James 4, verses 11 and 12. Don't speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? And so here's this concept, right, of what takes place in life whereupon we have where we do wrong against each other or we think wrongfully against one another. And that's why in the body of Christ, when we have this beautiful gospel message, the gospel of reconciliation, according to 2 Corinthians 5, right? That's the opposite of what we're looking at. It's the opposite of how we ought to live. And so when we look at passages like 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14, and other passages that deal with, with this potential for divisiveness, how shall we live with one another? This is the whole reason why, brethren, we are where we are at this point in world history. In the Lord's church. We have so many divisions over so many things that one person thinks is worth dying on the hill for. And then we have all those followers along that mindset that we start breaking off into different sects. And then those sects become what we refer to as denominations. There may be some blurring of those lines, but that's really what you see. And everyone, if you were to talk to that person, you, I don't care who you name in, in your life, the person who proclaims Jesus in a manner that you would say, biblically speaking, I think what they're doing is wrong. And I cannot worship with them. And you ask that person, why do they don't worship over here? And because they're doing something that is wrong in their mind. And then that person... And then the ultimate question, well, then who's telling the truth? Well, I am, right? I'm always right with God. You may be off to my right or to my left, and you have your, your quarrels, your, your squibbles, and what have you, but I'm right. And then you're saying, wait a second, Mitch. I think it's the other way around. I mean, I'm right in center because I don't want to go too far to the right, too far to the left. I'm in center, but you, now you're preaching the decision of the elders, too far right, too far to the left. Bible class teachers, the articles you read in the bulletin or in the journals or wherever they may be and on, on Facebook for that matter. And there's a time and place for things to be sorted out. And while we have responsibility and wisdom to discern on our end what we need to be doing individually, collectively, we know ultimately that discernment will come by our Lord and our Savior himself. We just read that. We read it in Romans 14. We read it here in James chapter 4. And we get passages like 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14 that actually gives us insight into how we can, in fact, coexist. Right? Look at the passages given for us real quick. We're not going to hang too far um, in the passage in 1 Corinthians 8, but I want you to go there for just a minute. Paul making very, very clear 
what he's wanting from brethren who are divided over a lot of different issues with the, within the church at Corinth. And so he moves on to another issue after he talks about the whole marital relationship. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know we all have knowledge. And then with that in mind, he makes it abundantly clear. Knowledge, it puffs up. We may need it, but here's what it does to a person who thinks he has so much knowledge. It puffs him up. Knowledge puffs up. On the other hand, he says, love edifies. Love builds up. And so he goes on discussing how knowledge can puff up and how love, in fact, builds up. And so he goes on talking about how we ought to be self-denying, to think of the conscience of someone else. And so we deny ourselves, and that's exactly what he goes on into um, explaining in chapter 9 following. And so we see that with the church at Corinth. And the same is true when we talk about the church at Rome. So whether it's things offered to idols or a multitude of things of which the Apostle Paul lists in Romans 14, right? So we had that read already this morning, right? So whether we're talking about um, eating meats or eating vegetables and someone saying, well, you know, if you're doing that, you're not doing the, the ultimate way that God wants us to live is from the beginning when man was just vegetarian, right? You have some people that would actually say, that's the way you need to live. And it's wrong to kill animals and so on and so forth. And, and we got all, you have brothers and sisters in Christ that think this and say this. And then you have others that say, well, listen, what God called clean, you don't call unclean. What God says eat, you don't say you, don't, you can't eat. You can. And so you go back and forth. How do you coexist? Paul deals with that. You have one person who esteems one day higher than another. <clears throat> Something around the corner here. Right? The big elephant in the room, Christmas. You have, you have brethren, Christians, who esteem one day higher than another, and they do it not even from a civil standpoint, but even religiously. And then others are saying, wait, there's nothing in the Bible about Jesus, and how do you coexist? He goes on to say, in the latter part of the passage, he says in verse 21, It is good neither to eat meat, as one example, drink wine, as another example, or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. How do you deal with each other? <coughs> Self-denial. You prefer one another. It's the idea that God has for us to live in peace when, in fact, we may be on opposing sides to a belief or to a practice. And that's what we're seeing here. And so in this very, very short lesson that we're looking at this morning, and by the way, I, I'm just amazed that the lesson is going to be short today. Because <laughs> usually I say it's going to be short, and you're like, what happened? It's been a little bit longer. <laughs> It'll be short, I promise. Well, I shouldn't have promised. Now I'm going to lie again. So Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to look at Ephesians 2. This is a beautiful, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 4, beautiful passages about how we have this gospel of reconciliation, this life of peace, right? And I want us to see that beautiful text. I put Ephesians 2. It's Ephesians 6. I don't know why I have 2. It should be chapter 6. So chapter 6, when we're dealing with the armor of God. Notice what he says. Backing up to verse 13, therefore, right, if we're going to fight against the wiles of the devil, and what he wants is he wants us divided. 
the opposite of Ephesians 2, where the church is being united in Christ, where every joint supplies what it ought. So, verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all these things, taking the shield of faith, which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Part of that list is right here, the gospel of peace. Shod your feet with it. That's the message of, of the gospel itself, is reconciliation of peace with God and with men. And so when you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, chapter two it is in contrast to what you see here. In verse 14 of Ephesians 2, Back over here. Here's what Paul says to the saints. He says, he himself, Jesus that is, is our peace. He has made both one. You get that picture? It's like Genesis chapter 2 where the two become one. But instead of having this two, the two that we're seeing here is this division and brought near again. That's where that wall of separation comes tearing down. And it's all one in Christ. And so he says he has broken down the middle wall of separation. That, that visual concept you would have gotten in the first century would have been unmistakable. Right? Here you are a Gentile and you're at this court at the temple site in Jerusalem. And you can only go so far because to do it would risk your own death. You don't mix with the Jews. And in Christ, that middle wall of separation is taken down. And now there's reconciliation. And there's a conciliatory type of a relationship. And that's what this opposite of sin does for us when we live life of righteousness. Right? That's what we were reading of in Romans 14. It's not about food and drink. It's about righteousness. Living at peace with each other. That's what Paul is explicitly saying to the saints at Rome. And it's a very fundamental lesson for us. You talk about having fundamental, foundational sermons. Without this, you don't get the rest. This is superseding, if you will. And so, how do you do it when someone else is going to be divisive? Because we just live in a time where, frankly, it can be very discouraging if all you do is focus in on all the division, division that takes place among those who profess to be followers of Jesus. And the mantra for so many is, well, I'm trying to stand for truth. But in the meantime, destroying the very body which Jesus died for. Well, here's what you do. Right? Remember when someone sins against you, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15? When someone sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and he alone. And if he listens to you, Gained your brother peace. Out of love, you go to your brother. It's so hard to do. This is an easy passage to read. We can Bible study it and, and do everything to it going, here's what we do, checklist. But it's hard to live it. It's hard for me to live it. But you want peace? Go pursue peace. Someone has this angst against, against you or you have angst against someone? Go to them. In the body of Christ, too many with the flesh don't do this. 
the flesh overtakes and we justify, well, that person should be the one to come to me or that person should, I, I make that excuse up. But that's not how you have peace. And so you want to live the way God intended from the very beginning? You seek peace. And then you pray for them. Right? It's enough that you have problems by those outside pressures, those trials that we talked about last week. But when those trials come inside the household of faith, that can get very discouraging. So what happens when you're trying to live peacefully with your brethren? And you suppose that your brother or your sister is not wanting to live peacefully with you by virtue of, of their fruit. You pray for them. That's what you do. And so hard otherwise. And that's what makes me so happy about um, the situation that was brought up this morning by Steve, where we have brethren that are looking at the potential of our, our, our elders to be, if you will, before they're being appointed. And let's go and talk to them about whatever concerns you might have and encourage them in the things that they would be doing that would be very difficult, right? So when we're looking at, well, I guess it was last week that we're looking at appointing of elders. Um, and when you see just the stress that is involved in shepherding the flock, they need that support. Knowing that these human beings who love God and love his church may not in your own eyes make the best decisions. But I can guarantee you they, they love the church. They love every individual and wants what's best for everyone, prays about their situations, look at things from different angles, takes information from different sides, and one side is saying, no, I'm right, and they're wrong, and, so, and they're having to deal with things with great wisdom and difficulty. So you pray. Here's the last thing. Here's what you can do from making things worse. And that's found here back in Romans chapter 16 that was read for us by Sawyer. Understand that you have two people typically, unless their fruit shows otherwise, love God. And they're on opposing sides of whatever the issue may be. The Apostle Paul says something very, very clear about who the judge is. It does not mean that you cannot make judgments. It does not mean that leadership won't make stands. There is going to be a drawing of the line from a congregational standpoint. But brethren, I think, I think someone was even brought, had brought it up. I forget who specifically that, you know, like if we're to just question every single one about every single issue in the scriptures, we'd be all over the map. We really would in this congregation, including our visitors who are here this morning. We'd be all over. If we opened our hearts up completely without reservation, you would see that there are going to be brethren that think things that you're going, wow. How do you have fellowship? These are your brethren. Romans 14, one more time. I'm going to finish with this, this passage. I want you to read it and let it just really resonate and digest it very slowly as we let this sermon come to an end. Romans 14, beginning once again in verse 16. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. 
The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. Instead, it's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's your answer. He who serves Christ's, Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. And therefore, let us, and I would add, based upon what he says later on in, in Romans 15, as much as depends on you, let us pursue the things which make for peace. Brethren, when we're not at peace, make it. And the things by which one may build up or edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of stuff. In this case, he mentions food. It could have been any other issue that he had already previously spoke of. Do not, once again, destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are pure. The only way it's evil, he says, it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Unfortunately, we want to list things that are not approvable. Yes, there are things that are not approved, but God explicitly tells us what they are. We like to add beyond those things, and therein lies where we can get into trouble and have division in the body. And instead of the body of Christ, we have a very broken body within Christ. That's not what God wants. That's the very opposite of the gospel of reconciliation. And so this morning, as we conclude this lesson, I want you to really think, well, what are you doing? In your walk with God, what are you doing that brings about the building up, the peace, the edification of the body of Jesus Christ? It doesn't mean that we cannot open um, our mouths and have beautiful open dialogue, even disagreeing with each other, knowing full well that if I prefer you, I would look at you thinking, you love God. I don't agree with your decision, but I know you love God. And if you can do the same for me or for any other person, we'd go a long ways in having a body that looks just like the community we see in the ideal church that we read of in the first century. And speaking of this body, make it very clear, the calling in the city, the new city of Jerusalem, if you will, is to bring in those who want to be part of this body. It is a free will choice. It is your volition that you will humble yourself to say, God, I've tried it my way. It doesn't work. I need you things that Steve mentioned this morning when he was talking in his memories about how much we can be reminded of how much we need our Savior. We all do. And if you're in a place where you have not been saved by the blood of Jesus, every week we make this beautiful invitation, an urgent plea for you. Because God loves you and we want to extend that very same love to you. That you can put to sin or put that death, excuse me, that man of sin. When you die in that watery grave, you raise to walk in newness of life by the gracious, precious 
blood of Jesus. That's the call. That's the invitation. And of course, brethren, if you need our prayers, use this time as together we stand and sing.